welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Jerry Springer. Oh, thank you. Please, please, please. Megan's looking really good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, look, Megan Hills, uh, key third member of our team, uh, has a regular job. She's gainfully employed, different from me. A real job? And you, yeah. So uh, she's going to try to get here before it's over, but it's when we do this, we're doing this show on a Tuesday evening, and she's, in, she's a HR manager for a major Midwestern company. So that's where she that's is. It's moving and, to Mexico. No, no, they're no, not. No, 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 And by the way, um, and I want to bring up Megan here in a second, but before I do, uh, you went to a foot college football game the other day. Yes, a big and one. And it was, I think you would agree, might have been one of the best college, it was one of the best college football games ever. It, it was, <clears> Ohio that, State Michigan. and University of Michigan. And, and the game, for people that are listening to this later on, this was the game where Ohio State was ranked two, Michigan was ranked three. The winner would be in the final four for the playoffs, for the national championship, and the loser would be bumped out. So the, this game meant everything. Plus, it's a incredible rivalry, Ohio State-Michigan. And, um, and by was, the way, and I want to ask you what the atmosphere was like because I'm imagining – it was unbelievable. It really was. I, I don't... Go ahead. Well, I just want to say real fast, I think it once again shows that the people who need the help the least get the help the most. You... When I've gone to Ohio State games, my son Mitch graduated from there. Yeah. I've gone to many games. Yeah, and where do you Georgia. sit? I sat in the student section. He would get me a ticket, and I yeah. stood. We never sat down. I'm imagining you sat in a luxury box. You and? were in a bubble... And it was probably, but again, regular people like me, working class people, those of us you, who voted for Trump, we don't get this kind of stuff. Yeah. We don't get this help. But, but when, the, um, when the person there brought my hot dog. Yes. <laughs> they, he, just somebody take a bite before you ate it just to make sure. Well, yeah, you always have a taster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there were things that I had to deal with. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. This is true. Uh, It set the record, and you can look it up. There were 110,045. That That was the all-time record for uh, Ohio State and maybe for all of college football. But they put it up there. This is the most people that ever were at an Ohio State game, 110,045. I am here to tell you, and people listening to this will be the first people that I can tell this, the truth to, it really wasn't 110,045 that saw the winning goal. It was 110,044. Because, because at that moment, I, I had to go to the bathroom. Really? You felt? And this is true. You I had am, to go void, I, as we I say. I avoided <laughs> And I am there, and all of a sudden, you hear, whoa, people going crazy. And I'm going, come on, come on. I missed. I missed. It really was true. And when I come out, everyone's hugging each other, jumping up and down. And if I didn't see the replay, I, I wouldn't have known. What happened. And it was an amazing atmosphere, wasn't it? Was, it really was. It was great. It was hey, great. by the way, and, and you were hard on her uh, I'm talking now about Melania Trump, the yeah, it, first lady it, elect, I guess you yeah. could say. And Melania, you apparently or maybe met her somewhere along the way, because I know you know Donald Trump. You did some work for Donald yeah. Trump once. Yeah. And uh, you're a staunch supporter of Hillary Clinton. We don't hide from that, as I, I was. I love too. her. Great. Uh, so Melania Trump, yeah. Jerry, you know this, two times has called our podcast she, office answering machine. She apparently loves the show she watched, yeah. She loves your TV show, yeah. and she's left some messages at the podcast office. Why and, would she leave a message? Well, I don't know, but do you remember at the Republican convention, she, uh, how do you say this, borrowed some words from Michelle Obama, Obama and it, yeah. it was controversial. Yeah, but she borrowed good words. 
They were good ones. Yeah, so that took some skill. Two of the messages, one was her on, it's in our archive on two of our episodes, one that message she left, she had verbiage in it that sounded very much like the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. Yeah. Then she did another call the next week that sounded like the Gettysburg Address. I walked in here and David Proust, our technical producer, said Melania Trump left another message. I have not heard it. I'm sure she has not. I think that was coincidence, those two others. Yeah, David, would she you doesn't mind do that playing regularly. it? So let Jerry and I hear this, please. Yeah, third one now. Okay, yeah. it's the third one. Hello, Jerry. This is Melania. You know, much people think Melania is nothing but a stunningly beautiful supermodel with body that could start a forest fire. But I also spend much time wondering about the human condition. For instance, last evening as I fell asleep, I, I found myself thinking to myself, how many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? And and how many seas must a light dove sail before... Hold on a second, David. Can you pause that for a minute? Wait, that's, Are you kidding me? Did she, that, that's blowing in the wind. It's Bob Dylan's blowing in the wind. <laughs> what, 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 uh, Finish that Continue it. How many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned? The answer, my Jerry, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. I think I am giving myself another headache from all of this wandering and thinking, thinking and wandering. Hmm. Well, we will talk soon, Jerry. Love you. Ciao. Really, uh, I'm honored that she, she would call. Well, it is. It's, and it always seems to be and only, someone else's The only show words. I know she's calling is the Jerry Springer podcast. And, yeah. uh, uh, I wanted to mention something about uh, Megan. And, and we're going to hear a great musical act tonight and also uh, get some words from you. I want to ask you some stuff about the recount that Jill Stein is instigating yeah. and the Clinton people are participating. So we want you to comment on that. Uh, you have running on your website, on the Jerry Springer podcast website, yeah. what I will call a bit. It, I think it's a comedy bit. Would you like, like to, to date, date Megan? Yeah. And I think when you put that up there, you thought that was amusing to have people from around the country contact us and then we, and would, we would vet, vet them. them because we don't want her to go out with someone of, of low moral standards <laughs> right, so understand. they have to get by us which is right. not easy now, i understand well here's the moral question i have <laughs> megan has told you and me that she is dating a, a gentleman we've met the gentleman he's, he's a nice guy he's a nice guy and I, I don't understand why you would want to put on the Jerry Springer podcast website a thing that says, would you like to date Megan? Because there are other guys that might like to go out with her. Jerry, she has a boyfriend. Well, you don't know that he's not seen some other women. Oh, my God. <laughs> I see. I don't get the morality of thinking that it's okay to lead guys on to call the web, contact the website. And I'm going to speak for Megan here. I've not discussed this with her, and I don't think you have either. No. I can assure you, in light of the fact that she's in a relationship, she would not want that. This on is Megan. The you don't think Megan <laughs> no. would go out with another well, I'll guy? I'll tell you what, David. Yeah. Do you have Megan's phone number? Yes. Let's call her. I think she's out. She's probably stuck in, well, before you make the call, she's probably stuck in Trump traffic. Yes. Mention what that's all about. Well, here we are. It is three weeks after the election, and Trump is going on what he calls a victory tour. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty conceited. Imagine him being conceited. Yeah. So, and he, so he's holding a rally here in Hamilton County, which, by the way, he lost to Hillary pretty Big significantly. Time. And yeah. Hamilton County is the county bigger than the city of Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So it involves the suburbs. So he's coming there, and he's holding it at 7 o'clock at night, right down on the river. Everyone's trying to get... Um, you know, home from work or whatever. The traffic is unbelievable. I sat for at least an hour, an hour and a half, all together. Hey, hold one second. That's my wife, Bonnie. That's Bonnie. Oh, Bonnie oh, Williams. Bonnie. Oh, hold your thought. Hold your thought. What is these? What are you wearing, Bonnie? Right there. What? She. I, I don't quite get this, but. She, 
my wife, Bonnie, yes. is a dance teacher and yes. a professional dancer. Well, it's and she dancer. taught tap tonight, and I heard her come in. <laughs> She's got her tap shoes on. <laughs> this is great. Hey, let's do something real fast. Bonnie, walk over there to the microphone, would you? Just pop your, yeah, go right over here to the performer's well, mic. I want to yeah. She's this got her tap shoes on. Oh, she can dance. Do a little rhythm do step little for thing. us. Come on. No, go you ahead. Do Just it. do something. Those are wings. She's on wings. That's Savion Glover stuff. That's Bonnie Williams, wow. everybody. Yeah. Good job. Oh, about that. Oh. Oh. Bonnie, what a treat that, that is. That's fantastic. Isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, if I only had brought my shoes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that. <laughs> That was great. That's very good. She she wears yeah. tap, tap shoes pretty much. If you all would the time. like to dance like that, what number should they call? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One eight hundred dance. Hey, uh, go back to Trump for a minute. By yeah. the way, so anyway, there's well, a big well, rally well, here. Yeah, but wait a second. When we thought when Trump was going around saying "Make America Great Again," he was. Really I think we saying? misheard him. He was saying "Make America Late Again." <laughs> hey. That's a Harold Tucker line. I give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah because I it bombed. Like, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> no. Otherwise, you would have said, I, <laughs> I, I said that. I would do that. Oh, have a seat, sir. Oh, that's the guy. When I was running late? Yeah. Uh, Hello, yeah, you can, the older gentleman back there? Yeah, the guy with the hearing aid. <laughs> really? No, I was coming in late. Right. And, uh, and it, it, just a yeah, right over there. Nicest gentleman. Yep. And he's telling me, he says, Jerry, this is the finest hearing aid money can buy. I said, yeah, what kind is it? He said, four o'clock. <laughs> All right, let's give the backstory here. Jerry has told that joke a lot of times, am I right? Applaud oh. if you've heard that before. He's told oh, that a lot of just times. Stop. So we now have a new contest on the Jerry Springer podcast website. The person who can tell us the exact number of times he's done that joke is going to get a swell prize. In fact, I'll tell you what I think the prize should be. I hope it's swell. It will be a swell prize. I think the prize should be VIP tickets to your TV show in Chicago. And they could even stay in the Hancock building where you have an apartment. Okay, uh, yeah, they, we could send them to Chicago, although the show is in Stanford, Connecticut. And you close, yeah. <laughs> and you close the apartment and about two weeks apartment, ago. And yeah, I no longer am in the hand, so there you go. So but that's here's, a, how, here's how that's this is going to work. You hear, the, way you have, the way to win this is you go, you have to tell us the episodes by number. They're numbered 1 through 85. And the person who can tell us the exact episodes in which the joke was told will Wait, be the winner. They would have to listen to all 85 episodes. The idea. Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> you can't pay people enough to listen to all 85 you episodes. Know I can't tell you what episodes are in. I sure as hell ain't going to listen to all those episodes. <laughs> but anyway, hey, David. We've spent the you, week. I, I, I should tell you, because we're off... Even though we're doing this, yeah. this is one week where I'm not doing the show, and it was great. The TV show. Right, the TV show. Right. So, you know, oh, I'm back home in Sarasota. Mickey and I were lying there on the beach with seagulls flying. It, 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 was, just, it was beautiful. But, oh, but with, I'm telling you, with all the seagulls, you know why seagulls fly over the sea? No, why do they, Jerry? Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. <laughs> When I was when I was walking in here, the janitor here, God bless him, he does yeah. a great job. Works but, for the vice mayor of Yeah. Ludlow, he jumps uh, out of the closet catfish. and you know what he said? What? Supplies, supplies. <laughs> That's pretty good. My grandson Richard told us those jokes. Actually, it's new material. It is new you. material. 
I he like feels it. so sorry for me, honestly. He yeah. comes to me, oh, I got a new I one for you. I got to help yeah. you out here. This is ridiculous. Right. Uh, Megan Hills, yeah. can you get her on the line? Sure. I, I want to ask Megan, and I'm going to guarantee you, Megan will say, thank you, Gene, for having sensitivity to this embarrassing situation from her. Because Megan, like me, wonders, uh, we're trying to find your morality where you would say, well, that would be wrong to try to draw people in to date her when she's in a relationship. Well, then Megan will say, I'd rather not go out with you because I have someone I care about more. All right. Well, let's see if we can get her on the phone. Can we put her on? How are you? I'm good. Oh, perfect. How close are you to being here? I'm not coming tonight, Jerry. (laughs) Oh. Okay, see, I think I'm at my other You're at your other job. I'm well, at my real job. At a real oh, job. well, good. Well, maybe that job will pay you. <laughs> it does pay me, actually. Hey, Megan. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yes, hey, Megan. I, this is Gene. And, and Megan, I'm, I got your back. I've been oh. talking to Jerry about how uh, I don't know why he keeps on the website, podcast website, would you like to date Megan when you're in a oh. healthy relationship? So <laughs> I want you to tell Jerry your opinion of this, and I, I think I know what you're going to say. That should come down, shouldn't it? Well, who wants to date Megan? Yeah. yeah. No. Why would that come down? <laughs> so, so in other words, people can still call to go out with you. Absolutely. Do you not always need a backup plan? Come on. <laughs> I mean, gentlemen. <laughs> could, could you put him on the phone, please? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, no, Megan. I don't think you take that down. I think you keep that right up there. There you right. go. It's staying right there then. Hey, Megan, if you can make it, come on down. All right. Even if it's at the end or. Hey, thanks, Gene. All right, see you, Megan. Bye. Megan Hill. Bye. Yay! Hey, uh, Jerry, I wanted to uh, ask you something about the election, about the past presidential election. We now know that Jill Stein, who was the Green Party candidate for the presidency, and she got, you know, just, a, a, I don't know, a few percentage points of the vote, but she has now called for a recount in Michigan, or pardon me, Wisconsin, and she's also applied for one in, in Pennsylvania and Michigan. and Michigan. Yeah. What do you think of that recount? Well, initially, I, I don't like it. Well, first, I don't think Hillary should be a part of it. I love Hillary and worked as hard as I could, supported her, et cetera. But the election's over, and she needn't be a part of this. Uh, secondly, I don't think the recount will change the result. The difference, as unhappy as I am about the result, but the differences are so great that you're not going to get that, you know, it's 70,000 votes in Pennsylvania. In one of the states is 70,000. In um, Wisconsin, I think it's 27,000. Michigan, it's about 10,000. So it's it's not going to change the vote. Yep. And And frankly, I'm a little upset with... With Jill Stein, even though I'm sure she's a lovely lady and has strong convictions, but it must have been clear to anybody that had any thought or any knowledge about politics and campaigns and issues that the only human being on the planet Earth that could have stopped Donald Trump from being president was Hillary Clinton. So, and we all knew that. She was the only one that had a chance of beating um, Trump. So therefore, any other decision you made other than voting for Hillary was, in a sense, at some level, an acceptance that Trump would be president. So if you didn't vote, or if you voted but left open the uh, presidential slot, or if you voted for one of the independent candidates, that may make you feel morally, wow, I did the right thing. I didn't like either of them. But the fact is, in politics, this is the real world. And Trump was going to be president of the United States unless Hillary beat him in the Electoral College. We all knew that. It was the same thing with Ralph Nader back in, I think it was 2000, with Gore. Because take a look. Just in Michigan, Hillary is 10,000 votes behind 
um, Trump in Michigan. But Jill Stein got 51,000 votes. It is fair to say that not every one of the Jill Stein votes would have gone to Hillary. Some people wouldn't have showed up to vote, maybe. But surely she would have done much better than Trump of those people, the Jill Stein voters who did vote. Remember, if you're the Green Party, your big issue is the environment, global warming. How in the world, you know, here you, you let become president a person that believes climate change is a Chinese hoax. Really, if you care about the environment, put aside your, oh, I want to feel good about myself and say, the most important thing, if, if it's saving the environment is the most important thing, which it may very well be, then good Lord, don't let Donald Trump become the president. So you vote for Hillary Clinton, even if you don't like her, even if you don't agree with her on all the issues, even if you think she used the wrong email server. It was a really, I, I, it was a selfish decision to to not vote for Hillary when you knew she was the only person who could stop Donald Trump. And by, look, I said the same thing, and I, I love Bernie Sanders, but I said the same thing to the Sanders people. They'll tell you a lot of them work here, and they're all for Bernie. But at the end, it was, how do you stop Donald Trump from being president? It was the overriding issue. And the result was, because... Some people just said, oh, plague on both their houses. Well, now it's a plague on our house. So that was my first thought about the recount. Now, once I stopped being upset about it, then I started to think, well, what could the rationale be? Because Jill Stein is a smart person. They know that the recount isn't going to change the result. In fact, in interviews, she's even said that. So what could the purpose be? I believe the purpose might be it buys time because there is only one issue that ultimately will either shorten the presidency of Donald Trump or, if evidence comes out beforehand, will stop him from being president. And that is if there's some real connection with the Russians. That is an issue which transcends politics and goes to the security of the United States. Russian involvement in somehow our election. In our election to the point you know, we can't stop them from trying to get involved. It's another country. But if one of our candidates was complicit and worked out how they do it, then, well, one, that's a violation of the Logan Law, which has been on the books for 200 years. And that, it can be treason. They specifically use the word treason. Or it is certainly a major felony, either of which would be grounds of impeachment. Has that ever happened before in history that a foreign country, maybe even specifically Russia, has tried to meddle in our elections? Absolutely. And the time it happened, which is an election you and I actually first really got involved in politics, I take you to 1968. 1968, we're in the heart of the Vietnam War, the war that killed 58,000 Americans, not to mention the hundreds of thousands that were maimed, wounded, mental injuries, whatever. And we're right in the middle of it. And Lyndon Johnson, Democratic president of the United States, was the one that really built up our involvement in it. Not the only person, but he was the one that really built it up. It fell on our shoulders. Now, here it's 1968, and, and stay with me just for a moment on this story. It's 1968. Johnson is now running for re-election. Remember, he was elected in a landslide in 64. Part of it because Goldwater was the opponent, but most of it, frankly, because 11 months before John Kennedy was assassinated, the whole country was feeling just, you know, you can imagine. And so Lyndon Johnson won in a landslide. But now, four years later, it's 1968, and he's got this Vietnam thing going on, and the country is in shambles. When people today say, oh, there's never been an election like this, oh, look at all the problems facing America, time out. As angry as we get maybe with what's going on today, this is nothing, nothing compared to 1968. 1968, our cities were burning. There were riots, riots, people burning draft cards, 
uh, sitting in, in administration buildings. Literally, this country was aflame, including Cincinnati, including uh, Detroit, Newark, uh, L.A., you name it, every place in the country, the demonstrations against the war in Vietnam. Why? We had the draft. So this wasn't, like earlier today, I was speaking at the University of Cincinnati, and I was explaining to the kids there that, hey, this politics wasn't just something you studied, or maybe I'll take that as a major, or I'm kind of interested in it. Politics was our life. It was our life because we all were going, or we all knew someone who was going. Remember the first day of class, inevitably, the uh, principal, if you were in high school, a senior in high school, or even in college, would say, look to your left, look to your right. By the end of the school year, one of you won't be here. You'll be in Vietnam someplace, or even worse. So that's where America was. Now, Lyndon Johnson is the president. Here we are, young people, but lifelong liberal Democrats. But even though we're liberal Democrats, and we didn't want the Republicans, we didn't want the conservatives, Lyndon Johnson was responsible for our involvement in the war. So we put country before party, something we really believed in. So we challenged the president of our own party. Unthinkable, not just someone in the primaries, but literally someone who's the president. Now, someone like me wanted Bobby Kennedy to run, because uh, I thought he was the one person that had a chance of winning. But there were all kinds of reasons why Bobby decided not to run against Johnson, because it would look like uh, they wanted, he wanted it back for the Kennedys, that it really was the Kennedy White House. Johnson, by, because of the assassin's bullet, winds up being the caretaker, but as soon as the next election came around, we'll give it back to the Kennedys. He didn't want that, and all of a sudden, he would be the focus. But then on March 12th of 1968, they had the New Hampshire primary, and lo and behold, Gene McCarthy, who also decided to run, he was the first one who actually ran against Johnson, he comes real close. He didn't win New Hampshire, we tend to forget that, but he got real close. All of a sudden, Johnson is vulnerable. So now, Bobby Kennedy, four days later, announces for president. Now we got Kennedy and McCarthy running, both Democrats, running against our Democratic president. This is going to be incredible. Two weeks later, Sunday night, March 31st, 1968, Lyndon Johnson speaks to the whole nation. And it's another one of these presidential speeches, probably going to say what his next move in Vietnam will be. You know, just looking at it, why can't we get back to regular scheduled programming? He's ruining our Sunday nights. And boom, the last sentence of his speech was, I shall not seek, um, nor will I accept the nomination of my party to be your president. Lyndon Johnson was dropping out. This was unbelievable. First of all, the whole country couldn't believe that Johnson was going to quit. And now all of a sudden, the Kennedy and the McCarthy people, oh my God, we could actually get the nomination. And we'll beat Richard Nixon. This is wonderful. Well, you know, uh, two months later, Kennedy's assassinated. Yeah, that's tough for yeah. Jerry because he worked for Bob. And, and then, Kennedy okay, and he's assassinated. And then you had the Chicago Convention because Kennedy's now out. He, you know, Kennedy's dead. And then you have um, McCarthy. But back then, we only had a few primaries. It's not like today. Back then, there were eight, nine primaries in states that had primaries. Otherwise, the candidates were always chosen by the party leadership, you know, by the superdelegates. These were party leaders, office holders, et cetera. They viewed Kennedy and McCarthy as trying to overtake their president, even though Johnson wasn't running anymore. Humphrey was the vice president. Now Humphrey's the candidate for president. So they were all backing Humphrey. And all the kids that had been against the war and for Kennedy and McCarthy ticked off. You remember the, uh, the riots in Chicago at the convention. But Humphrey gets the nomination. The party is really split. I remember a few months ago, everyone was talking, oh, how are we going to fix the split between Hillary and Bernie Sanders? That was nothing. That was nothing compared to the riots in the streets when Humphrey got the nomination. So now Nixon gets nominated by the Republicans. Now you have the general election, Nixon versus Humphrey. But many, many Democrats are so unhappy with Humphrey because he's part of the administration of Lyndon Johnson in the war in Vietnam that they were kind of just what I talked about before, kind of staying home, not wanting to be a part of it. 
Now here's what happens. You've heard the phrase, the October surprise. When there's a sitting president, some major move is done in October, two weeks before an election, to affect the outcome of that election. Well, the reason you have the October surprise is sure enough, two to three weeks before the election, Lyndon Johnson, you know, being he's not running for re-election but didn't want Nixon, and he was going to support his vice president, he says he announces a bombing halt. He is willing to stop the bombing of North Vietnam if North Vietnam will agree to peace talks. And right away, after that announcement, in the next two to three days, Humphrey, from 10, 15 points behind, is literally drawing even with Nixon. Now we get to the answer to your question, have the Russians ever done anything before? And Nixon's involvement. We didn't know it at the time because we didn't have the Nixon tapes. They weren't released yet. Here's what happened. The Russians were pushing North Vietnam to agree to go to the peace talks because they knew, and everyone kind of knew, if there were peace talks, Humphrey would beat Nixon because no one, you know, people didn't like Nixon. There was still that, oh, not Nixon. But the war was the big issue. But if Humphrey could take that issue off the table and now there were going to be peace talks and we're going to stop the bombing, that would help Humphrey win. The Russians were obviously more afraid of Nixon, who was a hawk and would be much tougher with them than Humphrey would be. So it was in Russia's interest to see Humphrey win the election. Nixon, through back channels, and I won't get into that whole story, but the uh, woman's name was, she was called the Dragon Lady. Uh, she was married to Chenault, who was this general who was uh, big in World War II. She had a contact with the South Vietnamese leader, Chu. Nixon, through this contact, says, let the South Vietnamese leader know, Chu, that he should not go to the peace talks. In other words, Russia's pushing North Vietnam, show up. Nixon wants South Vietnam not to show up at the peace talks. Why? Because if the peace talks fall apart, Nixon wins. If the peace talks come to pass in the next week, Humphrey wins. So Nixon wants South Vietnam not to go along with it. And he tells Chu, the leader of South Vietnam, don't go to these peace talks because Humphrey, the Democrats, will sell you down the river. They'll do anything just to get peace. Hold out because after the election, if I win, I'll be much stronger for you in what ultimately will be the, the, the peace than Humphrey will be. So Chu announces three days later He's not showing up at the peace talks. It all falls apart, and Nixon wins. We didn't know all that at the time. There is, as I said before, the Logan Act. If you had had these tapes, and by the way, the guy that got the tapes was J. Edgar Hoover. Lyndon Johnson called J. Edgar Hoover and said, tape the South Vietnamese embassy in Washington to see if they're having any contacts with Nixon. And they got the contacts. They got the tapes. In fact, after this dragon lady delivered the message, and she worked for Nixon or was a Nixon supporter, she went later that afternoon for a half-hour visit at Nixon headquarters. They had all of that. But, of course, they had it then, and time has since passed. So Russia has gotten involved in trying to influence an American election for its benefit with an American candidate for president. Now you say, well, that was in 1968. It was the Soviet Union. They were all communists. I just want to remind you of this. One of the leaders of the KGB, the Soviet communist, it's their FBI. It's their, they enforce, you know, the secret police or whatever happens to be a guy named Vladimir Putin. So now you look, wait, could Trump really 
be involved with Putin? Let me say, I personally obviously do not know. But I offer these items that are worthy of investigation. In the Republican convention in August or July, whatever, this summer, the Republican convention, that's great. I can remember that it was March 12, 68, <laughs> but I can't remember the date of the convention. At the Republican convention this summer, the Republican Party issued its platform, as every party does, and it had uh, 120 items. Trump people came in, and this was well documented. There were reports about it the whole time, even interviews. The only item... The only item that the Trump people wanted changed in the Republican platform, Trump said, or his people said, the part where you had America will give military aid to the Ukraine if it is invaded. That was the Republican position. If Russia invades the Ukraine, America should give military aid. The Trump people demanded and won the battle, that that was deleted from the platform. Of all the items you have in the platform, domestic and foreign policy, why would that be the one thing? Then you see the chairman of his campaign at the time was Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort worked in the Ukrainian campaign, running the campaign or advising the campaign of the Russian candidate in the Ukraine. And now he's Trump's campaign manager. I have personally talked, without giving the name, I have personally talked to someone who was involved in Hillary's campaign, who has a long history in the Democratic Party, and they know that a number, not just Paul Manafort, but a number of people in the Trump campaign have had contacts with the Russians. That they have evidence of. That they know. By itself, that's not a crime. So you put that together. So that's another thing that raises suspicion. Then you all know the wonderful uh, things that uh, Trump keeps saying about Putin. You know, he's a good man, he's a strong man, he's a good leader. Well, of all the people in the world, why do you pick him to be your role model? And then, remember in the debates when he says he's not sure that we should guarantee uh, the protection of NATO? What is Putin's biggest objection to America, foreign policy? NATO. And we've never, since World War II, had an American president of either party ever say that we wouldn't back NATO, we wouldn't back our allies. That's the only protection we have against Russia moving over Europe. And he comes out with this position. How did that make sense? And then, interestingly enough, three weeks ago, Trump gets nominated, and all of a sudden, Russian missiles move closer to either Lithuania or I think it's Lithuania. Lithuania, one of the three Baltic countries. They just moved their missiles there just within the last three weeks. So you put all this together, and wouldn't a reasonable person say, at least let's look into this? I believe that is the only issue which, which will shorten the presidency of uh, Donald Trump. Not his business connections. There may be ethics violations, but I, I don't know that... You know, we can complain about it. I don't know if there's any specific law necessarily that'll stop it. So, you know, and, and then there'll be a lot of partisanship. But what all Americans should agree on, if, and it's an if, but if in fact Trump and his people were involved with getting Russian help to affect this election, remember, the only hacking by the Russians, which... The evidence is there. 17 out of 18 government agencies have now concluded that it clearly were the Russians that hacked the Democratic Party headquarters and Podesta, etc. 
only Democrats except Colin Powell, who said he's not supporting Trump, and I think McCain, and one other I'm thinking, but all three, the only three Republicans were Republicans who said they weren't for Trump, and everyone else was a Democrat. Really, why would you not also hack into the Republicans? And remember when Trump even said, come on, you should go ahead and do it. There's just too many things going on. We ought to take a look at that. That is worthy of serious congressional investigation. If it's nothing other than conversations and nothing more, then let Trump be cleared. But if, in fact, he is involving Russia in how this election turned out and what our policies are, what if Trump's being blackmailed? What if... I mean, this has to do with the security of the United States. What if they have something on Trump? Can you imagine the United States president being blackmailed? So every time there's a foreign policy decision now, whether it's with Iran, the Middle East, Europe, NATO, any decision he makes, you now have to wonder, is it really in America's best interest or are the Russians pulling the strings? It's worth taking a look at. That's really good. I'm always amazed at your knowledge, grasp of history, and your memory of facts, and it always makes me wonder why you can't come up with more jokes than one that you tell again and again and again. That's just a curiosity that I have. My psychiatrist, really, he told me I'm crazy. I said, I want a second opinion. He says, okay, you're ugly too. So, <laughs> I just signed a new cable contract. Really? Thank you. <laughs> and next Thursday, they're going to install it. Hmm. <laughs> Same stuff. That's on, that's on episode 85, that joke right there. <laughs> I, I know that. Remember 27? That was great. Oh, 27 was yeah, great. That's when I said. Hey, let's hear it for Justin Lynch, our Whoa! musical performer tonight. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Justin, for joining us. And I know that because I'm, and talking to uh, Casey Campbell, our music coordinator, that you have done a lot of music in your life and you're kind of coming back into it. I am. Performing. Yeah. And, and what band were you with? Uh, I used to play in a band called Wojo. Actually, it was my band, Wojo. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we're very glad you're from this region, so mm -hmm. it's uh, kind of easy to raised. do. Uh, to be here, and we appreciate it very much. Do a song for us. Sure. This is, uh, this is a Wojo song um, called uh, Only a Handful. Whiskey brown sorrow I guess I'll see you tomorrow And all that I can grasp With this my dying gas Is only a handful only a handful Lord, I know I'm thankful You and your sparkling wine I've heard it all a million times Is it tragedy by design Or payback in kind Are you always a handful
And all the folks that stuck it out And never leave the word of mouth And my foundation without a doubt So sturdy and stout Well, there's only a handful Lord, I'm grateful count cause you may do without and buckle up your swollen pride is all that you could ever hide is only a handful only a handful Lord I know I'm That's Justin Lynch, and you can uh, hear his material at Facebook if you go to Justin Lynch or uh, look up Justin Lynch and Wojo, W-O-J-O. Your wife is uh, Johnny Lynch, correct? Yes, yes. And she is the creator of these delicious pies, by the way, called Pie Bird Pies. You can get them here at the Folk School Coffee Parlor. And any other places beyond the greater Cincinnati tri-state area? It's not an online thing, I can't imagine, because they would perish. No, she does um, the uh, the Covington Farmer's Market in the summertime. Or, okay, and so this during is Covington, market season, Kentucky, and, um, if you're in this area. And the Gruff down in, down in Covington sells yeah, their... Yeah. Uh, good, good. Well, it's an excellent product. Hey, do a second song for us. This is called what, Border Laws? Borderlands. Borderlands, Borderlands please. Yeah. Sure. Justin Lynch. stone fences and sleepy red barns past the highest hill where the church lies still filled with the silence of saints when there's just a shade tree between heaven box for my troubles to send Cause life at high speed is a dangerous pace to keep this rushing river but it needs a lazy bend Insomniac streets in which I beat my retreat and where I long for Quiet county lanes to wind down low into the valley below to hear the brooks babbling refrain. Cause life could be sweet with the bluegrass neath my feet, these hills between me and the sun. as it comes When there's just a shade tree between heaven and me and the west winds for my troubles to send Cause life at high speed is a dangerous pace indeed This rushing river
Down a limestone ridge Across the covered bridge Unfolds miles of rolling fields And there are nowhere not far From where crows mourn my heart any harvest these bottoms could yield So take me back Winding way Along stone fences The sleepy red barns Past the highest hill Where the church lies still And filled with Silence of Saints. Yeah, that's a good song. That's a good song, Justin. Great. That's Justin Lynch. Oh. And I'm going to ask Beautiful. Justin to take us out on Good Night, Irene. And I see uh, stepping in with him is Maria Corelli hey. from oh, hey. the Maria. Third School Woo. Coffee Farm. We love Maria. Yes. And together they're going to. Um, End this podcast with Good Night Irene. Here we go. Last night I saw I got married. Me and my wife settled down. Me and my wife, we are parting. And I think I'll go into town. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Jerry Springer. Sometimes I live in the country. And sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion To jump in the river and drown Now you hear?